Welcome to Let's Talk Death, conversations to inform and inspire. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a nonprofit providing the tools and resources to support one's journey with grief. We seek to empower individuals to achieve a healthy post-bereavement growth. Everything we do is inspired by our core belief that no one should ever grieve alone. Let's Talk Death is a series of conversations with some amazing people from various fields. Our goal through these conversations is to normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief. Hello, welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Death. I'm Fran Solomon. And I'm Andy McNeil. And we are thrilled to be your hosts for these conversations. Our guest today is Scott Grossberg. After nearly 40 years as a high-profile trial attorney, Scott shifted his focus to helping people create what he calls fearless and sacred lifestyles. His mission is to guide individuals in reconnecting with their boundless confidence, creativity, love, and excitement. Drawing inspiration from various spiritual and shamanic traditions, Scott works as a coach, a trainer, and instructor. In addition to his coaching and consulting work, Scott is an author and content creator, focusing on topics such as life enrichment, mysticism, and divination. Scott's new book, The Unfinished Book, a journal for the end of the journey, is available now on Amazon. Scott, we are delighted to have you as a guest on our show. Oh, thank you, Fran, and thank you, Andy. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for asking. So, Scott, before we get into your book, I'm really curious, was there a personal event that perhaps changed the tra- tra- trajectory of your career path? Um, now, the, the answer is yes, if we're talking about me as an attorney. The answer is yes, if we're talking about me as a magician. Uh, and, and I will tell you as an attorney, because that's what most people want to know is, why did you walk away from a, a nearly 40-year career doing what I did? And it was probably the death of my dad going through that. And uh, I that was my first experience with a hospice worker up close and personal. And as my dad was actively dying, I've learned all these terms uh, as an adult. You never get taught them as a kid. And she pulled me aside and she said, I want you to know your your father is on a wonderful adventure. Now, not what I expected. I expected a caregiver, nursing staff, et cetera. It's like, here's the timeline. He's got this many days or hours or this. And um, she was very spiritual and very caring for me and my family as much as for my dad. And that gave me something that that I worked very hard on this book to give that I think everybody needs. And it's one thing. It's called perspective. Yeah, I I mean, I have to say perspective and perspective is a big it's a big thing, right? Like depending Absolutely. on where you're right, where you're where you're coming from is sort of the idea. Sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll say, you know, they'll struggle with this concept. Like, what do you mean a different perspective? And I'll kind of use like an illustration and say, you know, if you have, you know, five windows in your house and they all face out different ways or have different things that you see out of them, depending on which one you look out depends on kind of the perspective that you're bringing it. So there's that level of perspective. And then sometimes it's like this complete mind shift where you're, 
to hear you say it, you weren't expecting her to say what she what she said. That was probably even a perspective shift right there. You know, it was. It, and it's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talk right now, by the way, in social media about reality shifting, and then they're called shifters, and it's guided meditation, and it's visualization, and hypnosis, and the, and the like. But when you become very practical about life and death, you lose a father, right? Then I lost uh, my stepmom. Um, my, uh, you know, one of the big turning points, it wasn't in my career, friend, but one of the big turning points in my life uh, was when I was 13 years old. And my best friend was over at my house. He said, let's go get our other best friend, walked across the street. I'm in the front yard. And the next thing I heard was a loud bang. And it turned out he was shot in the chest because they had found the dad's gun and were going to play quick draw, not knowing the gun was loaded. Um, I ran over to the house, 13 years old, ran over to the house. I do not remember going in the house. Uh, I was told I did, but I don't remember it. Mm. I do remember the I remember Dennis's body being brought out um, and covered up it. My dad is the one that had to go identify the body. Um, I was pulled out of school, was not given any counseling. I, I was just like, take the time. And man, you learn grief up close and personal at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's, a pers- that's a perspective shift, right? Oh, and, and nobody ever talked about it. And so, you know, all these life events happened. Yes, Fran, they were uh, career changing but they were also life-changing and and it's you know if anybody gets anything out of today's podcast i just i i you know my i am now um dedicated to helping people experience how precious life is on a daily basis not six months from now not tomorrow right now um because you know i i think from having been in the high power world of corporate and law and how fast can we move and how much money can you make? You know, the biggest myth I think we all tell ourselves is that we have time Mm. and we don't, (laughs) you don't have time. And if you start living like that, maybe you do, right? I'm not asking anybody to be fatalistic. If, if people will start saying, what if at the end of the day I die, right? The whole Alan Watts, concept of people should people should at least meditate on death you know what it would be like to fall asleep and never wake up or what would it be like to wake up having never been asleep you know this very buddhist and or memento mori approach to living those are perspective shifts yeah yeah you know i always say that the work that i do has taught me how to live life so differently. And Scott, I believe you've heard me say this um, more than once. It's taught me how to love more deeply, forgive more quickly, and to be as present as possible in the moment because the next breath is not a guarantee. There is no guarantee that the next breath is going to happen. And to be constantly reminded of that and to live that, I find that I've learned to let go of the nonsensical stuff yeah. To rid myself of of the what I call long anger, I, we're not perfect. I'm a human, um, but but just refocusing and redirecting, which is very similar to what what I believe you're you're saying. 
Yeah, very much so. You know, and just real quickly again, I'm sure the two of you already know this. I've been heavily influenced by Joan Halifax and her work with the nine contemplations of Atisha and, you know, the whole impermanence concept. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a 501c3. As a nonprofit, we are reliant on the kind generosity of our donors. If you are inspired by our mission, we ask you to go to healgrief.org backslash donations to help us continue our great work. No gift is too small. Tell us about the unfinished book, A Journal for the End of the Journey. I've, I've written a number of books, and this one is my baby. I, I, I just, I loved writing it. And don't cover the, don't cover the, the oh, hold it up. Hold it up. There you go. I, I love this book because I didn't write it, and I'll explain this in a minute. Um, may, may I give a quick backstory as to what this is? Please. I, I was overhearing my wife, it's a one-sided conversation, speak to someone on the phone, and she asked them, what is left unfinished in your life? I'll help you finish it. My entire world went, eh? <laughs> I, I, I can't even, you know, I think all of us periodically have those moments where the where the future changes, right? You know, it's one of those moments. I, I was touched so deeply, instantly brought to tears. Um, I, I was going through my own personal death awareness. Uh, I, I had literally just gone through uh, total knee replacement. So if uh, or I was about to have total knee replacement, sorry. And I thought it was a walk in the park. Nobody, I, Scott, the type A personality said, go change the tire. I'll be back doing what I'm doing in two weeks. Honest to God, that's what I did. And then they stopped, they, they stopped one week before surgery and the surgical nurse called and said, I'm calling the surgery. We're not doing it. And I said, why? And they said, she said, because your EKG is abnormal. We've got to go and do all these stress tests and we've got to get a cardiologist. And, and it was like, what are you talking about? And she said, I don't want you dying on the table. And you talk about personal death awareness for someone who was blowing it off up till then. It started with that. Then my wife said this comment to the person on the phone. And I, my whole life have been somebody who felt like I was running out of time my whole life. That's one of my earliest memories. It's why I'm an overachiever, right? And at that point, it was, there's, God, there's so much stuff I haven't finished. I could die on the table. What, what is this? Right? Whether it happened or not, it was just the, the personal death awareness. And the night of my wife making that comment, I had the most lucid dream where I literally was simply taking in the download. And I woke up, it was so real. I woke up and the first thing I did was this book. Mm. What took so long were the illustrations in it. That was mm. not the download, but, the, but the, the content and format was, and it was, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And then they moved my surgery date up from having pushed it out and it was like i have to get this done because i might die mm. and it became manic for lack of a better way to put it um to get this done this book was finished so quickly uh and put out because i wanted my wife among others to have this this memory mm. this legacy right 
And um, it's, it's, I will say this, I'm going to speak for my wife. It's been challenging for her to read this because she knows the context of it. Wow. And she knew that I put this together thinking I might die. Yeah. Well, and it, it seemed to me that talking about perspective, that that perspective, uh, you know, um, is, you know, I don't want to say creates the content, but is a, uh, it becomes a part of the content of the development, you know. And and I got to say, here here's two things I learned along the way on this little journey of putting the unfinished book together. And and by the way, there there's a reason it's all lowercase because it's not finished yet. There are no page numbers on it because there's no order to this. You can use it in any way you want. Uh, and, and two things I learned very quickly. That is that I was not equipped to handle the emotional stress and strain of grief. And I know we're talking you know, about death, but the, the reality is I had major surgery. I came out of that surgery and I fully admit I wound up with post-surgery depression and nobody was equipped to deal with this. Nobody, nobody could. There was no one to talk to. Uh, you know, they wanted to give me more drugs. They wanted to help with the pain. They wanted to do this. And it's like, you don't understand. I'm grieving the loss of my knee. They amputated my knee and put a prosthetic in there. And, you know, this is total knee, not partial, not an, an arthroscopic surgery. It's like, this is not my knee. Um, and I've, I've been able to work through a bunch of that ultimately with the surgeon uh, who was marvelous, uh, who showed me <laughs> after the fact, showed me what they did. He actually let me hold the appliance. He let me he let me make friends with it. Yeah. Um, and it's, very, it's been a very interesting, interesting journey. Very powerful journey for me. Yeah. You know, even hearing you talk, it makes me think about something that it's been on my mind, I'd say the last year or so, and I've, I've actually utilized it in a number of different settings, um, you know, with some of the work that I do and some of the volunteers that I train and, and, and such. And it's not that I'm saying that you shouldn't have goals. I think goals are fine to have. I've just been focused a lot on what I just call our intentions. And so trying to get people to think about, um, and again, it's not fatalistic, but it's more thinking about rather than, than just focusing on goals and where I'm going, the question becoming what what I'm what are going to be my inputs today? What am I going to put into whatever? And those are my intentions and getting people to think about and focus more on the inputs and then and then be open to receive whatever the outputs might be that you know that yeah. come back to you rather than trying to produce outputs. If that makes any sense at all, so absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. I, for a long time, I've said we all need to pay more attention to our intentions. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. in, in the Buddhist philosophy, any number of different people have talked about the root of all suffering is the attachment to outcomes. Yeah. And, so, and so that was one of the reasons that this book, when I because I worked through it, putting it together, it's the one of the reasons it's so powerful, I think, is that it allows you to get things out of your head. And get the really meaningful onto the page 
uh, and that's cathartic and that's healing and that lets you face your own grief, right? Um, and friend and I've talked about this before. I think we're all grieving. I think maybe we've been grieving since we were born, right? Yeah, and, and, right. and we, and we don't understand what it is. We've been ill-equipped. No one talks to us about death. I certainly wasn't talked to as a kid. I, you know, I was told, come to the funeral. I, I remember the first funeral I went to was my most loved uncle. And I was standing at the open casket and all I could see was his nose above the casket. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that as a kid? There's, I don't have enough coping mechanism. And uh, I'm probably still grieving over that because I loved yeah. him so much. There, there are even in my office today, there are, there are memories of him in here. And it's I never got to say goodbye. I never got to do anything other than be the nice little kid that shows up and don't speak until you're spoken to. Yeah, very, very true. I think about it as a child. I I, I like to joke that I'm a recovering Southern Baptist um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, and nothing against Southern Baptist. If you're a Southern Baptist, it's perfectly fine. I have lovely southern baptist friends and and that's that's fine um but for me as a child i was terrified of death because sure. i was constantly told all sorts of scary things and uh, you know so i remember just struggling with that myself you know? what about the metaphors like oh they're in a better place as a child i i too experienced the death loss of uh, my favorite dearest aunt. it was like well what do you mean she's in a better place let's go or well, you know, right. they went Let's away. Go see her. Yeah, yeah, they went away. <laughs> yeah. Well, where? Or or we we lost them. Well, let's find them. You know, it's like, what do you do with this grief? Actually, and, and, it's a very dear friend of all of ours who explained to me when explaining to a child that um, death is where the body dies. You know, the body stops working, um, which which I thought was really a very interesting perspective and way of saying things as my child was growing up. Because you know how you say, oh, my God, I'm so sick. Well, if so-and-so was sick and they died, well, now the child is fearful that, oh, my God, mommy is so sick, she's going to die. Interchanging that with the body stopped working. Now, when you say I'm sick or I'm not feeling well, you know, it's not that the body if there, there's a different association with the body stopped working. Yeah, and, and and I will tell you again, as I put the book together, it was always designed for people who knew or thought they were going to die. That was the original concept. What I've learned is that people who are grieving other people are, are finding solace in this. And again, I don't know if you've ever done any of that shows yet on journaling for the elderly, journaling for hospice, journaling, for grief, um, there's something so comforting uh, about having that pen to paper uh, that, that, again, I look back in my life, the tools, you know, boy, I wish I'd had something like this when the, the hospice nurse talked about the adventure that my dad was on and looking at it through that perspective. And he couldn't have done the journal while he was actively dying. He had cancer. Um, and was out of it a lot of the time, but I could have, I, I could have yeah. written down what I was feeling, what I was terrified of, what I, you know, wanted, how I want him to be remembered, how I want to be remembered. Um, and I, and I think it takes that very cathartic approach that, um, for a caregiver is what I've been told that a caregiver 
they don't have workbooks. I, I was shocked, by the way, when I went and looked up before I ever published the book. Uh, mm. I, I went and you know, looked up death journals. Well, you get these wonderful little diaries of here's where my will is and here's where my papers are kept. And it's like and while there certainly are books that can re, be repurposed for this, I never saw anything that just said, hey, look, here's a journal for the end of your journey. Yeah. Let's just call it what it is. Scott, before Andy looks at the time, can you give us um, a few examples of the the um, pages or the questions or the thought-provoking ideas um, in the book? Uh, sure. So, you know, one of the things that's my favorite that I don't know that everybody else's favorite, and it came out of the con the, the conversation with the the hospice nurse. And there's a page on here that lets you fill in the dreams I will have. These are the adventures and wild imaginations my brain has in store for me. My dad was telling all kinds of stuff that he was experiencing from going back on the farm to whatever. You know, it's like this is goes Andy to you. What intention do you want as you're going through the dying process? What do you want to be thinking about? Um, there are places in here how to write down how I've loved well, how I've lived well. Most importantly, who do I want to pardon? And there's a great line, who I need to unleash the Kraken of forgiveness on. Um, You know, hitting the reset button. This is where I admit fault and ask for a do-over. Right? We've all made mistakes. And then there's there's spaces in here for um, you to write down just freeform stuff. Uh, One of the fun ones that my sister working through the book actually liked was, I never found the answers to these, right? The unsolved mysteries that still keep me up at night. Um, And then most importantly, there's stuff in here, how you can celebrate me. You know, here's the magic of memories that I want to live on forever. What kind of music do I love? So that maybe the loved ones can play that as you're going through the dying process or at your celebration of life. And it's, it's just, it's a variety of things with, with ultimately, I think that the most powerful, it's a picture of a, there's a cage in the background, an open cage. And if you write on it and it's, I don't need to answer to anyone. These are my plans for some last acts of rebellion. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, yeah. as, as we go through whatever phase of life we're going through, I'm always reminded of that little cartoon of the mouse flipping off the giant hawk that's coming at them and it's the last great act of defiance there's still part of me in there that i would love people to just have that little fire in their belly even as they reach an end of a phase yeah that's brilliant love it well we we are indeed out of time uh this has been a great conversation that always time always flies uh when we're sharing with one another um but um, before we get out of here, I did want to make sure that you have an opportunity to share with our listeners how they can connect with you, with your work uh, and make that make that connection. Oh, thank you. For, thank you for that. Uh, the easiest way to find me and all my books and works that I do is on my website, thinking, T-H-I-N-T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G, magically, and it, .com. And the book is on there and social media connections, just the easiest, quickest way to get there. Um, you can find the book on Amazon right now. It's about to be released at Barnes & Noble as well. Amazing. Awesome. Amazing. Scott, thank you so much for being our guest here at Let's Talk Death and for sharing the inspiration behind your book. 
Oh, thank thank you both for letting me come on and uh, talk with you. I, I, I love conversations like this because I think it moves the world closer to uh, a better place. If you would like to learn more about Heal Grief, visit us at HealGrief.org to find other conversations or to inquire about becoming a guest speaker. Visit us at HealGrief.org backslash Let's Talk Death. And if you feel inspired to support us, remember, no gift is too small. Visit us at HealGrief.org backslash donations, or you can donate right through our homepage. Well, that's it until next time on Let's Talk Death, where we normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief.